So Disney wants Fox. Now what? And what consumers really want from brands. But oh, that's not all. Finally, customers are running away from advertising in droves. This is episode 76 of Media Unplugged, a special three-topic year-end episode <laughs> of the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to this special episode of Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm still Tom Asacker. Indeed so. Tom, it's not every day that Disney makes a $52 billion pitch for Fox. That is a big bet, isn't it? That's all anybody's talking about right now, so we had to squeeze it into our show at the last minute. And uh, But I think we'll have an interesting take on it. This, for anybody who doesn't know, is the big news of the day. The Walt Disney Company saying today it had reached a deal to buy most of the assets of 21st Century Fox, the conglomerate controlled by Rupert Murdoch, in an all-stock transaction valued at $52 billion. And here's what the New York Times says. I thought this was so peculiar. Disney now has enough muscle to become a true competitor to Netflix, Apple, Amazon, Google, and Facebook in the fast-growing realm of online video. Now, Tom, Disney has enough <laughs> no. to compete uh, against, wait a minute, to compete against Netflix, you know, which has whatever anybody gives them, along with the stuff they produce themselves, Apple, which has nothing, Amazon, which has almost nothing, Google, which has nothing, and Facebook, which has nothing. <laughs> Look, it's it's it's... So what did Disney buy exactly? Well, they let's bought, talk about it. Right. They bought proven content mm -hmm. so that they can continue story development and push that content out there. Because, look, they know that the future, all everyone knows that the future of traditional media companies is in digital. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to fill that digital pipeline if they want to go direct to consumer. And that's my guess. Is they they they're saying okay enough with licensing this content, mm -hmm. let's go direct to consumer, let's make a lot of margin, make a, make a lot of money, and they need the content. They need to fill the pipeline in a big big way when when they launch whatever it is they're launching. See now that I think you just nailed it because here's the thing here. This is about owning the, the you know, uh, 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 capturing as much content as you possibly can. And then also about going direct to consumer. Right. Uh, they already have, they had 30% of Hulu before. Now with Fox, they would have 60% of Hulu, which means they control Hulu. Yep. But in addition to that, they already have plans to develop a direct to consumer over the top sports um, platform and a direct to consumer over the top platform for um, uh, franchise content, Star Wars, Marvel, etc. So when you add those three things together, and then they also acknowledge that people will be able to, you know, take whatever mix of these elements they want. In other words, they're building a bundle. They're building a bundle without all that nonsense called cable television. That's because it. they're able to go to direct consumer. Why is this important to them? Well, as ESPN's losses mount... Um, and as the appetite for this content grows and um, the, the advantage to them of owning all this content and going direct to consumer, creating their own bundles and obviating all this other nonsense. Forget Netflix. Forget Time Warner Cable. Forget Comcast. Forget all this stuff. They go direct to consumer. Here's the other thing I was wondering in, in light of that. Where does that leave movie theaters? Doesn't that suggest that 
movie theaters are going to be the for those people who really want that kind of you know in person with an audience experience because when you own what Disney's going to own who cares about theaters put your content right in front of consumers at whatever price the market will bear and let movie theaters die look the movie theater experience I, I... When people say, oh, it has something to do with being a shared experience, that's nonsense. No, it doesn't. No, of course it, it, not. It doesn't. And you know what? Start Look at some of these TV sets that people are buying, mm-hmm. right, with with the surround sound. My, mm-hmm. It's better than being at the movie theater. Of course it is. You know? So, yeah, that's you know what's going to happen to movie theaters. They just won't, they won't do pre-releases. Why? Why should they do it? I mean, I think that's... Nobody's writing or talking about that yet, but I think that's going to be one of the next great topics, which is as much as a fuss the Hollywood Writers Guild West is making about this, saying, well, this is bad for you know the marketplace because now there's fewer customers for our stuff. Wait until the movie theaters pipe in because this is just a death knell for them when you can just go right around them to get to consumers and you have all the content and all the leverage. What choice do they have it's a really, I think it speaks to the importance not only of content, but of owning distribution That's by it. creating, because when you own all the content, you can actually create your own distribution thanks That's to digital, it. as you indicate. That's it. Look, the bottom line in media is this. The money, and we, we've talked about this over and over again, the money follows the content, either in subscription fees, ticket prices, advertising dollars, so long as you can drive attention to that content. Right, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everyone knows that popularity drives attention, and that digital is the future of that content delivery. So this seems like a really smart move by Disney. Now, look, they're gonna they're gonna do what every other company does that create has a big merger. They're gonna cut the hell out of the costs, right? More in, than in two billion to, dollars saved, quote unquote. Well, who, who? What does that mean? Does that mean that the studios? You know, the Fox studios are going to lose all kinds of people. You know, this is a creative industry. This has to be treated a little bit delicately. It does, but at the same time, Tom, uh, the market for those creative talents is bigger than ever. There's a home for all those people. So it may be viewed as an opportunity uh, more than, a, more than a, a, a tragedy for the people in those chairs now when Amazon calls, when Netflix calls, when others call. So we'll, right. we'll see. The other thing I think that's interesting about this is wasn't it just like a week or two ago where all we were hearing was how bad AT&T Time Warner would be? <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and now the gossip is, well, you know, AT&T Time Warner bad, but Disney Fox good. Why? Because Fox, of course, is being sold by a man named Rupert, Rupert Murdoch, a man who owns, among other things, a little network called Fox TV. And Fox TV is a very important asset for certain people at certain levels of power in the government. So doing what makes Rupert happy is probably going to be a good thing, and consummating this deal is going to make Rupert very happy. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we're going to keep going because we've got so much to cover. What consumers really want from brands? This is from a piece, Tom, in, um, let's see, Fast Company. And uh, it was kind of interesting. I don't know that it's altogether surprising, but this resonates with, with one of the themes that you talk about a lot. People just want products that make them happy and healthy. That's the title of the piece. <laughs> the research from Conscious Capitalism Booster Sustainable Brands and conducted by Harris Pohl ran in two parts. First, more than 2,000 Amer- uh, Americans were asked, what 
does the good life mean to you? Then a second poll, what's most important? More than a third of respondents, and I'm not sure how they kind of categorize these, more than a third of respondents, 36% prioritized, quote, balanced simplicity. 28% said meaningful connection with community. And 26% money and status. And only 10% said personal achievement. So the point is, you know, there's money and status way back at 26, but there's balanced simplicity way up there in the 30s. What was your take on that? Well, they, they use they use the the word that they pine for this, right? But <laughs> for simplicity and uh, healthy living and all that, and I and I found that to be a very interesting word, because think about it, to pine for something is to, you know, long painfully for it. That's mm-hmm. the same thing as nostalgia, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. h- how do we get that feeling? Because remember, feelings. And I've been saying this for 20-something years. Feelings are what we buy. I mean, that's what we're ultimately after in life. We're after some kind of feeling, and we get in our imagination that we're going to get it through these different means, Mm -hmm. right? Well, how do we go about getting it? We get them in the easiest, most risk-free ways possible, like a magic pill to stay healthy, Mm -hmm. some quick-fix diet or exercise program, or we buy a memory of when things seem simpler and we thought we were happier. That's Mm -hmm. why entertainment is a perfect way to get those feelings without actually changing anything in -hmm. our lives. This is why you, this is why you, I think, um, liked that piece I wrote on uh, Christmas and Hallmark, right? Absolutely. Because look, Mark, the idea that people actually desire more balance between work and home life or that they don't believe money buys happiness. That's all bullshit. Listen, all you have to do is look at what they do and what Mm -hmm. they buy. What's the fastest selling video game of the season? And this is right in line with what you wrote in that that post. The fastest selling video game of the season is Super Mario Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Look at the TV spinoffs. Of, of these old franchises, mm-hmm. Dynasty, Twin Peaks, Netflix just relaunched the Magic School Bus. Mm-hmm. Spotify launched some time capsule playlist that features songs from when you were a teenager, and it's become like their most popular offering. Mm. So, so people are getting all of this feeling that they want, that they pine for, this nostalgic feeling. They're getting it with all of these nostalgic products. All the, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is what's going on. So, so they, then, yes, they want the feeling. They do. So <laughs> then, then where's the gap? Because from what you're describing, brands really aren't missing out on this at all. Of course they're not. See, that's the thing. When you poll people, and you've done this your, mm-hmm. your, your, for your entire career, mm-hmm. if you poll people and you ask what's most important, mm-hmm. you don't get from them, here's what I'm going to do. You get, here's what I wish would happen. <laughs> But to wish for balanced simplicity and meaningful connection with community, that's much different than shutting off Netflix, getting your ass off the couch, and going and making that happen. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I hope nobody misreads this thing and, mm-hmm. and tries to give people something that makes them take risks and, and effort and all that because it won't work. Mm-hmm. So what will work, Tom? <laughs> What's working, right? Like I said, mm-hmm. how can you give me these feelings that I want 
and make it really easy and simple for me. Now, here's the trick to that. If any of this stuff actually worked in the marketplace to give us the feelings we wanted, we would never buy anything ever again. We buy one brand of toothpaste because this, you know, the white teeth had all these people attracted to us. Right. We'd buy the one diet book because that worked and we didn't have to buy another one. See, it, none of it gives us the feelings that we're looking for. These feelings of acceptance and love and simplicity and mm -hmm. all that. So we keep going back to the marketplace looking for it over and over again. So essentially you're saying there's nothing at all new here. Of course not. <laughs> well, it's interesting that the author says brands like Panera Bread, Cliff Bar, Patagonia, and REI exemplify branded simplicity, balanced simplicity, standing out for quality over quantity, usefulness over triviality. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, but they're also like counterexamples to all those, aren't there? <laughs> exactly. Bigger, <laughs> bigger examples, too. <laughs> right? So you know, I like his closing statement in the article. It says there is a lack of consistency of commitment communication and education from brands. <laughs> you know, they're being haphazard in changing their value propositions between products. They're not communicating their values in a way that generate confidence. You know, maybe it's because consumers are haphazard in their commitment. I mean, the marketplace <laughs> is just nothing but a dance. So if you're going to be haphazard, I'm going to dance haphazardly with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well put. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Masacker and Mark Ramsey. I am television advertising and I have a problem, Tom. That's from uh, the title of a piece from Media Insider, which I thought was kind of interesting. This is our third and final topic. Um, this was from a presentation that the NBC uh, brass did in front of a bunch of advertisers. And it began with the sentence, I'll cut right to the chase. We have a problem. That was followed by NBC Entertainment Chairman Bob Greenlatt, who essentially outlined the scenario, which is on one side, we've got more and more entertainment content that doesn't rely on ad revenue. And where there's advertising, it's so terrible, it turns off consumers to the degree that they're driven away even faster to all these new non-ad revenue-supported entertainment platforms, and that's bad for advertisers, for agencies, for TV networks, <laughs> maybe not for consumers. He left those out. He did say consumers are running away from advertising in droves, he said. But I'm not so sure that's a problem. <laughs> that, that was, from his perspective, that's a problem. Um, but I don't know if it is for consumers, right? I don't know. Look, first of all, good, good for them. You know, the first step in solving a problem is acknowledging <laughs> that it exists, right? Be because honestly, the, I remember the late great physicist Richard Feynman, he said that the first principle is that you must not fool yourself. Mm -hmm. And you were the easiest person to fool. <laughs> Television advertisers, these big brands have been fooling themselves for a long time. Now, maybe it's because they subconsciously know that this is not a simple problem to solve. Mm -hmm. It's going to require, you know, God forbid, creativity, innovation, uncertainty, risk, change. Those are all of the things that large organizations hate. They hate that. The idea of it, it just upsets mm -hmm. them. They don't mm -hmm. want that. So when Greenblatt points out that we need to get to a point where people watch ads for a reason and there is much less interruption, this guy misses the essential point of what advertising is in the first place. <laughs> Th this is what I'm saying. You mean it's interruption. Free content is the reason 
Mm-hmm. And interruption is the price for that reason, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, That's right. it. So it's, it's, so a, it's a toll. I, yeah. I mean, I agree with the, with the author. I agree. Well, bad I agree. Advertising that's, is not to blame, right? But 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 I agree to a point. But then he goes on. Bad advertising, not to blame. Bad television is now. Here's where I think things get sketchy. The non-advertising revenue-dependent platforms are attractive to consumers because the content on the platforms offers so, so so far superior to what the networks and most cable channels offer. Just look at the Emmys. He gives examples. And what do the networks offer? More NCIS and a Roseanne reboot. Now, Tom, <laughs> I mean, you can look. I mean, I did this analysis. I mean, if you look at FX, one of the most prized networks right now in terms of the quality of their content, um, they have some of the shows that are really kind of ringing up the nominations um, uh, with regard to television awards. And they don't have ratings. I mean, if you look at the ratings for Betty, you know, Feud, Betty and Joan, or Fargo, and compare those to the ratings for, let's say, NCIS, Mm-hmm. Tom, there's no comparison. So for him to say the problem is television is bad, we need good television, what we should do is copy the approach of these, you know, the, 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 the premium networks that offer a subscription and create better shows. What you end up doing is creating better shows that fewer people want to see. And better shows that fewer people want to see are not better shows for advertisers or networks, correct? Look, <laughs> It's the content, stupid. Look, look at how many interruptions people deal with to watch an NFL game. Mm-hmm. Right? There's 11 minutes of football in a three-hour telecast. It's ridiculous. But what's the option? Right? What's the option? Do you think when people watch an episode of This Is Us or they're watching The Good Doctor, mm-hmm. do you think, do you, honestly, do you think they go, ah, oh, shit, another ad? That it's just, of course they don't. It's part of the deal. People intuitively understand the deal. You buy a beer at the grocery store, it costs you a buck. You buy it at a nightclub in New York City, it costs you 10 bucks. People understand this stuff. If that's true, then what is the solution here? If the solution isn't fewer spots, if the solution isn't better ads, and if the solution isn't better programs, because, you know... You, you, can make, you, you can make another This Is Us, but you can't make another whatever game's on right now for NFL, right? Yeah, okay. So how did, what did, he concluded with his solution. TV needs to evolve to become more like the platforms that people like, both in content strategy as well as presentation and distribution strategy. Look. So in other, wait, wait, wait. So in other words, that means... More subscription-based, less advertising-based. I don't... See, this is what he's saying. <laughs> it makes no sense, is what I he's saying. I don't think this is right at all. Right? It doesn't... Listen, here's the thing. You just look at TV. If I were a big brand advertiser, mm-hmm. I wouldn't rely on TV to control my destiny. I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's looking at this saying, in order to have... I, I don't even know what he's saying because he's kind of saying in order for TV to evolve and survive, they got to get rid of advertising. If they do that, they're not TV. If they, then they're not TV. And then that doesn't <laughs> solve the problem for networks or advertisers, does it? Exactly. Unless, it doesn't. So, it, no. it makes no, so I think what we go back to is God bless Disney <laughs> 
for spending $52 billion at the right time on the right assets for the right reasons, because this is not the solution at all, right? Not at all. All right, Tom, it's time for Rants and Raves. What do you have this week? I'm pretty sure you've seen this, but I'll, I'm going to, uh, like, rave about it anyway. So this is a rave for a guy who pulled back the curtain on the illusion of online marketing. And he exposed kind of the, you know, the idealistic and unrealistic allure of all of this stuff just for just about everything. Did you hear about this guy that TripAdvisor's top-rated London? No. Re- oh, no. <laughs> you got, you've got to read about this guy. So TripAdvisor's top-rated London eatery is some guy's shed in his backyard. I'm not kidding you. He posted he posted fake food photos, and you have to see this. He showed how he made the food photo. It, it's like disgusting. It's funny as hell, and he put like all these glowing reviews for what he calls the shed at Dulwich, <laughs> which is literally an old shed in his backyard. Now here's what he said. He said, "So one day I'm sitting in the shed, and I had a revelation." Within the current climate of misinformation and society's willingness to believe absolute bullshit, maybe a fake (laughs) restaurant is possible. Maybe it's exactly the kind of place that could be a hit. In that moment, it became my mission. With the help of fake reviews, mystique, and nonsense, I was going to do it. Turn my shed into London's top-rated restaurant on TripAdvisor. He he did it. He did it. You've got to Google this thing, read exactly how he did it, and then remember to all our listeners, much of what you see online today, especially these easy-peasy quick-fix programs that are going to make you a raving success, (laughs) some kind of popular, rich, and famous author, speaker, podcaster, screenwriter, personal coach, I don't care what you call Mm -hmm. it. It's all a bunch of mystique and nonsense. So read this guy's... (laughs) <laughs> little journey and you will you will crack up <laughs> that's fabulous <laughs> all right i've got a couple um the first one is kind of a rave and i'm not going to go into this in too much depth because netflix just goes on and on about this on their technology blog but we all knew that netflix personalized recommendations right that's old news yeah. what i didn't know tom maybe you did is that they also personalize visuals did you know that not at all. But I can't. I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past them to personalize anything No, of course. Anything I just have no idea. In previous work, we discussed an effort to find the single perfect artwork for each title across all our members. Uh, through multi-arm bandit algorithms, we hunted for the best artwork for a title, say, Stranger Things, that would earn the most plays from the largest fraction of our members. However, given the enormous diversity in tastes and preferences, wouldn't it be better if we could find the best artwork for each of our members to highlight the aspects of a title that are specifically relevant to them? So, for example, a member who watches many movies featuring Uma Thurman would likely respond positive, positively to the artwork for Pulp Fiction that contains Uma. Meanwhile, a fan of John Travolta may be more interested in watching Pulp Fiction if the artwork features John. And sure enough, this is what their data revealed. So I just found it so fascinating that something that, you know, normally we would anticipate as well, okay, they're tailoring the selection to me, but, you know, the cover art is the cover art is the cover art. Well, in the world of Netflix, the answer is no. I found that really interesting. No, it's more than interesting. It's kind of scary. 
I mean, think <laughs> about it. No, I mean, listen, AI is, is, you know, it's taking away our privacy, but it's kind of destroying. Look what it's doing. I mean, it's seeing what we're doing and it's feeding us stuff to keep us in our own little bubble. Here's, I don't know. It's kind here's of what I want. Me. Here's what I want. I want when I go to Stranger Things on Netflix, <laughs> I want the cover image to be a picture of me watching the cover image oh, of Stranger Things. Oh, that's coming. That's coming. Believe okay? me. And with a big smile on my face, giving myself a thumbs up. That's. You don't, you don't think that's coming? <laughs> Listen, and then everyone that likes you, because they're going to know who likes you, because mm -hmm. they're going to look at your social feeds, they're going to have your face with a thumbs up on that movie mm -hmm. and they're going to send it out to everyone that knows you so they say look at that mark's watching this and he's got two thumbs up <laughs> and they're not even going to pay you for that recommendation see roger ebert he wouldn't have made a penny in the future no it's true it would just be his face on other people's thumbs yeah ai um Go for, I want to go from AI to AR, artificial reality, with my favorite. <laughs> I have my favorite article of the year that I want oh, to share with you. God. Maybe you've seen this. This is from Bloomberg. And here's how it opens. I'm not even going to tell you the title. I'm just going to read the opening. Because it's holiday time, Tom. And that means holiday parties. And what would a holiday party be without people at the holiday party? Especially okay. good-looking people. Along with a seemingly endless string of harassment and discrimination scandals, Silicon Valley's homogeneity has a more trivial side effect, boring holiday parties. A fete, <laughs> a fete meant to retain all your talented engineers is almost certain to wind up with a rather samey crowd made up of mostly guys. At this year's holiday parties, however, there'll be a surprising influx of attractive women and a few pretty men mingling with the engineers. Why? They're being paid to. <laughs> <laughs> local <laughs> local modeling agencies with work, which work with Facebook and Google-sized companies as well as much smaller businesses and the occasional wealthy individual say a record number of tech companies are quietly paying $50 to $200 an hour for each model hired solely to chat up attendees. For a typical party scheduled for the weekend of December 8th, Create Agency LLC, who is, has great PR, is sending 25 women and five men, all good-looking, to hang out with, quote, pretty much all men, end quote, who work for a large gaming company in San Francisco. The company, which she would not name, has handpicked the models based on photos, made them sign non-disclosure agreements, and given them names of employees to pretend they're friends with <laughs> in case anyone asks why they've never seen them around the foosball table. These companies don't want their staff to be talking to someone and think, oh, this person was hired to socialize with me, says the, uh, says the company head, who's sending models to seven tech parties in the same weekend. Most models' contracts say they won't exchange contact information with party guests, and that gets tougher to handle with grace when they're <laughs> legally bound to pretend they're guests, too. <laughs> so there you go, from artificial intelligence to artificial reality, Tom. So we don't even know in the real world anymore if we're dealing with reality. You know what's funny is I've <laughs> told you, as you know, as you know, I do these, these award shows every uh, December, January, and I'll never forget the first time I went to the show and my wife had gone out to, to the bathroom or something and, you know, they were starting up again. All of a sudden, this well-dressed, attractive young woman sits down in her chair. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and I turn to her and I say, um, the, um, the, the, my, my wife is is sitting there. And she said, it's okay, I'm a seat filler. And I said, oh, a what? 
Oh my goodness. So yes, there's a, every time you watch an award show and you see all the beautiful people filling every single seat, just know that there's a troop of people off on the on the and the wings waiting for a seat to be empty. And when the when the music rises and the show begins, they rush to fill that seat um, because you can't have an empty seat in an award show because there's always a model. Well, it must be <laughs> like, the, like these people that uh, that are like superstar professional speakers. And you come and you watch them speak, and then they you say, "Oh my, look at all these people in the audience! I can teach you too how to That's, be a professional." And they're all seat fillers. <laughs> I, I was going to use something a little more innocuous, like when you get your photo taken with, you know, Seth Godin at the end of Seth Godin's speech, um, almost like your Seth's personal friend. You oh know, yeah, and you post it all scenes. over the internet. Something I, I spoke like people put on their little uh, bylines on podcasts. He's been on the stage with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> Did they say that? Oh, absolutely. I've been on the same internet as the Dalai Lama. Exactly. I was in the same airport as the uh, Dalai Lama. <laughs> Before we go, Tom, this is our last episode of the year, um, and I want to thank everybody for being with us all year long. I, I, I just want to, you know, I've, uh, last time I did a, a, a little movie review plug, and I want to do it one more time this time for a movie you may not have seen yet that I know you're going to enjoy, and it's the new one from James Franco called The, the Disaster Artist. Have you heard of this that, movie? Yeah. No, no, tell me. Well, it's it's uh, it's about the making of the one of the no most notorious bad movies ever called The Room, which I had never seen, but boy, oh boy, I got to see it now, with uh, uh, a writer director star Tommy Wiseau is the guy's name, and Franco plays this guy, and it is just a hilarious movie, and you will not even believe that it's true, but it's true. It's got a little bit of Ed Wood in it, a lot of heart, and uh, it's just insanely funny. Uh, so you've got to go see The Disaster Artist. It's Someone described it online as peak Franco, and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And, and listen, I want to thank everybody, too, for uh, bearing with us through all of our uh, ramblings and rantings and the titles and especially, you know, mentions of Wax Museum thing. <laughs> <laughs> And I hope they stay with us next year because we'll bring them even more. We'll turn it up a notch, perhaps. <laughs> Let's, let us only hope that we can aspire to that. Exactly. Thanks for a great 2017 all, and thanks for listening. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us at Art19.com, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Google Play Music. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asecker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on older episodes at our website. Old, we should call them vintage episodes. Oh, I like that. Nostalgic our, episodes. Nostalgic. Uh, what's the word that I hate so much? Artisanal. Artisanal. <laughs> vintage <episodes>. websites. <laughs> at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. See, I try and forget the word. <laughs> Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. Jeff, thank you for another great year. Happy holidays, Jeff. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Happy holidays and thanks for listening.